0: Book thirteen part one of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand volume five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox dot org. Recording by Nicole Lee, the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, volume five by Francois René de Chateaubriand, translated by Alexander Teixeira de Matos. Book thirteen part one. Rome, seventeenth february, eighteen twenty nine before passing to important matters i will recall a few facts on the decease of the sovereign pontiff the government of the roman states falls into the hands of the three cardinals heads of the respective orders deacon priest and bishop and of the cardinal camalingo the custom is for the ambassadors to go to compliment in a speech the congregation of cardinals who meet before the opening of the conclave at st peter's his holiness corpse after first lying in state in the sistine chapel was carried on friday last the thirteenth of february to the chapel of the blessed sacrament at st peter's it remained there till sunday the fifteenth then it was laid in the monument which contained the ashes of pious the seventh and the latter were lowered into the subterranean church to madame ricamier rome seventeenth february eighteen twenty nine i have seen leo the twelfth lying in state with his face uncovered on a paltry state bed amid the masterpieces of michelangelo I have attended the first funeral ceremony in the church of St. Peter. A few old cardinal commissaries, no longer able to see, assured themselves with their trembling fingers that the Pope's coffin was well nailed down. By the light of the candles mingling with the moonlight, the coffin was at last raised by a pulley and hung up in the shadows to be laid in the sarcophagus of Pius Seventh. They have just brought me the poor Pope's little cat. It is quite grey and very gentle, like its old master.' Dispatch to Monsieur Le Comte Portalis, Rome, seventeenth, february, eighteen twenty nine. Monsieur Le Comte I had the honour to inform you in my first letter carried to Lyon with the telegraphic dispatch, and in my dispatch number fifteen, of the difficulties which I encountered in sending off my two couriers on the tenth of this month. These people have not got beyond the history of the Guelphs and Ghibellines, as though the fact of the death of a pope becoming known an hour sooner or an hour later could cause an imperial army to enter Italy. The obsequies of the Holy Father were concluded on Sunday the twenty second, and the conclave will open on Monday evening the twenty third, after attending the mass of the Holy Ghost in the morning. They are already furnishing the cells in the Quirinal Palace. I shall not speak to you, Monsieur Le Comte, of the views of the Austrian court or the wishes of the cabinets of Naples, Madrid, and Turin. Monsieur Le Duc de Laval, in his correspondence with me in eighteen twenty three, has described the personal qualities of the cardinals who are in part those of to-day i refer you to number five and its appendix numbers thirty four fifty five seventy and eighty two there are also in the boxes at the office some notes from another source these portraits pretty often fanciful are capable of providing amusement but prove nothing three things no longer make popes the intrigues of women the devices of the ambassadors the power of the courts neither do they issue from the general interest of society but from the particular interest of individuals and families who seek places and money in the election of the head of the church there are immense things that could be effected nowadays by the holy see the union of the dissenting sects the consolidation of european society etc a pope who would enter into the spirit of the age and place himself at the head of the enlightened generations might give fresh life to the papacy but these ideas are quite unable to make their way into the old heads of the sacred college. The cardinals who have arrived at the end of life hand down to one another an elective royalty, which soon dies with them. Seated on the double ruins of Rome, the popes appear to be impressed only with the power of death. Those cardinals selected Cardinal della Genga after the exclusion of Cardinal Severoli, because they thought that he was going to die della Genga taking it into his head to live they detested him cordially for that piece of deceit leo the twelfth chose capable administrators from the convents another cause for murmuring for the cardinals but on the other hand this deceased pope while advancing the monks wanted to see regularity established in the monasteries so that no one was grateful to him for the boon the arrest of the vagrant hermits the compelling of the people to drink standing in the street in order to prevent the stabbing in the taverns unfortunate changes in the collection of the taxes abuses committed by some of the holy father's familiars even the death of the pope occurring at a time which makes the theatres and tradesmen of rome lose the profit arising from the follies of the cardinal have caused the memory to be anathematized of a prince worthy of the liveliest regret at civita vecchia they wanted to burn down the house of two men who were thought to be honoured with his favour among many competitors four are particularly designated cardinal capellari the head of the Propaganda, Cardinal Pacca, Cardinal de Gregorio, and Cardinal Giustiniani. Cardinal Capillari is a learned and capable man. They say that he will be rejected by the Cardinals as being too young a monk, and unacquainted with worldly affairs. He is an Austrian, and said to be obstinate and ardent in his religious opinions. Nevertheless, it was he who, when consulted by Leo Twelfth, saw nothing in the orders in Council to warrant the complaint of our bishops. It was he also who drew up the concordat between the court of Rome and the Netherlands, and who was of opinion that canonical institutions should be granted to the bishops of the Spanish republics. All this points to a reasonable, conciliatory, and moderate spirit. I have these details from Cardinal Benetti, with whom, on Friday the 13th, I had one of the conversations which I announced to you in my dispatch number 15. It is important to the diplomatic body, and especially to the French ambassador, that the Secretary of State in Rome should be a man of ready intercourse, and accustomed to the affairs of Europe. Cardinal Bernetti is the minister who suits us best in every respect. He has committed himself on our behalf with the Zelanti and the members of the lay congregations. We are bound to wish that he should be re-employed by the next Pope. I asked him with which of the four cardinals he would have most chance of returning to power. He answered, With Capillari. Cardinals Packer and Di Gregorio are faithfully depicted in the appendix to number 5 of the correspondence already mentioned. But Cardinal Packer is very much enfeebled by age, and his memory, like that of the senior Cardinal, La Somalia, is beginning to fail him entirely. Cardinal Di Gregorio would be a suitable Pope. Although he ranks among the Zelanti, he is not without moderation. He thrusts back the Jesuits, who have as many adversaries and enemies here as in France. Neapolitan subject though he be, Cardinal di Gregorio is rejected by Naples, and still more by Cardinal Albani, the executor of the high decrees of Austria. The Cardinal is legate at Bologna, he is over eighty and he is ill, there is therefore some chance of his not coming to Rome. Lastly, Cardinal Giustiniani is the Cardinal of the Roman nobility, Cardinal Odoscalchi is his nephew, and he will probably receive a fairly good number of votes, but on the other hand he is poor and has poor relations. Rome would fear the demands of this indigence you are aware monsieur le comte of all the harm that Justiniani did as nuncio in Spain and I am more aware of it than any one else through the troubles which he caused me after the delivery of king ferdinand in the bishopric of Imola which the cardinal governs at present he has shown himself no more moderate he has revived the laws of st louis against blasphemers he is not the pope of our period apart from that he is a man of some learning a hebraist a Hellenist, a mathematician, but better suited for the work of the study than for public business. I do not believe that he is backed by Austria. After all, human foresight is often deceived, often a man changes on attaining power. The Zelante Cardinal de la Genga became the moderate Pope Leo the Twelfth. Perhaps amid the four competitors a Pope will spring up of whom no one is thinking at this moment. Cardinal Castiglioni, Cardinal Benvenuti, Cardinal Galefi, Cardinal Arezzo, cardinal gamberini and even the old and venerable dean of the sacred college la somalia in spite of his semi childishness or rather because of it are presenting themselves as candidates the last has even some hope because as he is bishop and prince of ostia his exaltation would bring about alterations which would leave five great places free it is expected that the conclave will be either very long or very short there will be no systematic contests as at the time of the decease of pius the seventh The conclavis and anti-conclavis have totally disappeared, which will make the election easier. But on the other hand there will be personal struggles between the candidates who assemble a certain number of votes, and as it requires only one more than a third of the votes of the conclave to give the exclusive, which must not be confounded with the right of exclusion, the balloting among the candidates may be prolonged. Does France wish to exercise the right of exclusion which she shares with Austria and Spain? Austria exercised it in the preceding conclave against Severoli, through the intermediary of Cardinal Albani. Against whom would the Crown of France exercise that right? Would it be against Cardinal Fesch, if by chance he were thought of, or against Cardinal Giustiniani? Would the latter be worth the trouble of striking with this veto, always a little odious, inasmuch as it trammels independence of election? To which of the Cardinals would His Majesty's Government wish to entrust the exercise of its right of exclusion? Does it wish the French ambassador to appear armed with the secret of his government, and as though ready to strike at the election of the conclave, if it were displeasing to Charles X? Lastly, has the government a choice of predilection? Is there such or such a cardinal whom it wants to support? Certainly, if all the cardinals of family, that is to say the Spanish, Neapolitan, and even Piedmontese cardinals, would add their votes to those of the French cardinals, if one could form a party of the crowns, we should gain the day at the conclave. But those coalitions are chimerical and we have foes rather than friends in the cardinals of the different courts it is asserted that the primate of hungary and the archbishop of milan will come to the conclave the austrian ambassador in rome count lutzau talks very cleverly of the conciliatory character which the new pope must have let us await the instructions of vienna moreover i am persuaded that all the ambassadors on earth can do nothing to-day to influence the election of the sovereign pontiff and that we are all perfectly useless in rome For the rest I can see no pressing interest in hastening or delaying, which besides is in nobody's power, the operations of the conclave. Whether the non-Italian cardinals do or do not assist at this conclave is of the very slightest interest to the result of the election. If one had millions to distribute it might still be possible to make a Pope. I see no other means, and that method is not in keeping with the customs of France." In my confidential instructions to M. le Duc de Laval, on the 13th of September, 1823, I said to him, We ask that a prelate should be placed on the pontifical throne who shall be distinguished for his piety and his virtues. We desire only that he should possess sufficient enlightenment and a sufficiently conciliatory spirit, to enable him to judge the political position of governments, and not to throw them, owing to useless exigencies, into inextricable difficulties as vexatious to the Church as to the throne." We want a moderate member of the Italian Zelante party, capable of being accepted by all parties. All that we ask of them, in our interest, is not to seek to profit by the divisions which may arise among our clergy in order to disturb our ecclesiastical affairs. In another confidential letter, written with reference to the illness of the new Pope de Leggenga, on the 28th of January, 1824, I again said to Monsieur le Duc de Laval, What we are concerned in obtaining, supposing there should be a new conclave, is that the pope should through his inclinations be independent of the other powers that his principles should be wise and moderate and that he should be a friend of france am i monsieur le comte to-day to follow as ambassador the spirit of those instructions which i gave as minister this dispatch contains all i shall only have to keep the king succinctly informed of the operations of the conclave and of the incidents that may arise the only questions will be the counting of the votes and the variations of the suffrages the cardinals favourable to the Jesuits are Giustiniani, Odescalchi, Pedicini, and Bertalozzi. The cardinals opposed to the Jesuits, owing to different causes and different circumstances, Azula, Di Gregorio, Bonetti, Capillari and Micara. It is believed that out of 58 cardinals, only 48 or 49 will attend the conclave. In that case, 33 or 34 would effect the election. The Spanish minister, Monsieur de Labrador, a solitary and secluded man whom I suspect of being frivolous under an appearance of gravity is greatly embarrassed by the parties called upon to play the instructions of his court have foreseen nothing. He is writing in that sense to his Catholic Majesty's charge d'affaires at Lucca. I have the honour to be etc p s They say that Cardinal Benvenuti has already twelve votes certain if that choice succeeded, it would be a good one benvenuti knows europe and has displayed capacity and moderation in different employments as the conclave is about to open, i will rapidly trace the history of that great law of election which already counts eighteen hundred years duration where did the popes come from how have they been elected from century to century at the moment when liberty equality and the republic were completely expiring about the time of augustus was born at bethlehem the universal tribune of the peoples The great representative on earth of equality liberty and the republic christ who after planting the cross to serve as a boundary to two worlds after allowing himself to be nailed to that cross after dying on it the symbol victim and redeemer of human sufferings handed down his power to his chief apostle from adam to jesus christ we have society with slaves with inequality of men among themselves from jesus christ to our time we have society with equality of men among themselves social equality of man and woman we have society without slaves or at least without the principle of slavery the history of modern society commences at the foot and on this side of the cross peter bishop of rome inaugurated the papacy tribune dictators successively elected by the people and most part of the time chosen from among the humblest classes of the people the popes held their temporal power from the democratic order from that new society of brothers which jesus of nazareth had come to found jesus the workman the maker of yokes and ploughs born of a woman according to the flesh and yet god and son of god as his works prove the popes had the mission to avenge and maintain the rights of man the heads of public opinion all feeble though they were they obtained the strength to dethrone kings with a word and an idea for a soldier they had but a plebeian his head protected by a cowl his hand armed with a cross the papacy marching at the head of civilization progressed towards the goal of society christian men in all regions of the globe gave obedience to a priest whose name was hardly known to them because that priest was the personification of a fundamental truth he represented in europe the political independence which was almost everywhere destroyed in the gothic world he was the defender of the popular liberties as in the modern world he became the restorer of science letters and the arts the people enrolled itself among his troops in the habit of a mendicant friar. The quarrel between the empire and the priesthood is the struggle of the two social principles of the Middle Ages, power and liberty. The popes, favouring the Guelphs, declared themselves for the governments of the peoples. The emperors, adopting the Ghibellines, urged the government of the nobles. These were precisely the parts played by the Athenians and Spartans in Greece. Therefore, when the popes took side with the kings, when they turned themselves into Ghibellines, they lost their power because they were disengaging themselves from their natural principle, and, for an opposite and yet analogous reason, the monks have seen their authority decrease when political liberty has returned directly to the peoples, because the peoples have no longer needed to be replaced by the monks, their representatives. Those thrones declared vacant, and delivered to the first occupant in the Middle Ages, those emperors who came on their knees to implore pontiff's forgiveness, those kingdoms laid under an interdict, an entire nation deprived of worship by a magic word those anathematized sovereigns abandoned not only by their subjects but also by their servants and kindred those princes avoided like lepers separated from the mortal race while waiting to be cut off from the eternal race the food they had tasted the objects they had touched passed through the flames as things sullied all this was but the forceful effect of popular sovereignty delegated to and wielded by religion the oldest electoral law in the world is the law by virtue of which the pontifical power has been handed down from st peter to the priest who wears the tiara to-day from that priest you go back from pope to pope till you come to saints who touch christ at the first link of the pontifical chain stands a god the bishops were elected by the general assembly of the faithful from the time of tertullian the bishop of rome was named the bishop of bishops the clergy forming part of the people concurred in the election as passions exist everywhere as they debase from the fairest institutions and the most virtuous characters in the measure that the papal power increased it attempted more and human rivalries produced great disorders in pagan rome similar troubles had broken out on the occasion of the election of the tribunes of the two gracchi one was flung into the tiber the other stabbed by a slave in a wood consecrated to the furies the nomination of Pope Damasus in three sixty six led to an affray attended by bloodshed one hundred and thirty-seven people succumbed in the Sicinian basilica known to-day as santa Maria Maggiore we find st Gregory elected pope by the clergy the senate and the people of Rome any Christian could rise to the tiara leo the fourth was promoted to the sovereign pontificate on the twelfth of april eight forty seven to defend rome against the saracens and his ordination deferred until he had given proofs of his courage the same thing happened to the other bishops simplicius ascended the see of bourges layman though he were to this day which is not generally known the choice of the conclave might fall on a layman even if he were married his wife would take the veil and he would receive all the orders together with the papacy the greek and latin emperors tried to suppress the liberty of the popular papal election they sometimes usurped it and often exacted that the election should at least be confirmed by them a capitulary of louis the debonair restores its primitive liberty to the election of the bishops which was accomplished according to a treaty of the same time by the unanimous consent of the clergy and the people the dangers of an election proclaimed by the masses of the people or dictated by the emperors made necessary certain changes in the law there existed in rome priests and deacons known as cardinals whether because they served at the horns or corners of the altar, ad cornua altaris, or that the word cardinal is derived from the Latin word cardo, a hinge. Pope Nicholas II, in a council held in Rome in 1059, carried a resolution that the cardinals alone should elect the popes, and that the clergy and the people should ratify the election. One hundred and twenty years later the Lateran Council took away the ratification from the clergy and the people, and made the election valid by a majority of two-thirds of the votes in the assembly of cardinals but as this canon of the council fixed neither the duration nor the form of this electoral college it came about that discord was produced among the electors and there was no provision in the new modification of the law to put an end to that discord in 1268 after the death of clement the fourth the cardinals who had met at viterbo were unable to come to an agreement and the holy see remained vacant for two years the podesta and the people were obliged to lock up the cardinals in their palace and even it is said to unroof that palace in order to compel the electors to make a choice at last gregory x came out of the ballot and thereupon to remedy this abuse in future established the conclave cum clave with or under key he regulated the internal dispositions of the conclave in much the same manner as they exist to-day separate cells a common room for the balloting walled up out of windows from one of which the election is proclaimed by demolishing the plaster with which it is sealed, and so on. The council held at Lyons in 1274 confirms and improves these arrangements. Nevertheless, one article of this rule has fallen into disuse, that in which it was laid down that if the choice of a Pope were not made in three days of confinement, during five days after those three days the Cardinals should have only one dish at their meals, and that after that they should have only bread, wine, and water until the Sovereign Pontiff was elected. To-day the duration of a conclave is no longer limited, nor are the cardinals now punished in their diet like naughty children. Their dinner, placed in baskets, carried on barrows, is brought to them from the outside, accompanied by lackeys in livery. A dapifer follows the convoy, sword at side, and drawn by cappers and horses in the emblazoned coach of the cardinal recluse. On reaching the conclave tower, the chickens are drawn, the pies examined, the oranges cut into quarters, the corks of the bottles cut up lest some papers should be concealed inside. These old customs, some childish, others ridiculous, have their drawbacks. If the dinner be sumptuous, the poor man starving of hunger who sees it go by, makes his comparison and murmurs. If it be mean, by another infirmity of human nature, the pauper laughs at it and despises the Roman purple. It would be a good thing to abolish this usage, which is no longer in keeping with our present customs. Christianity has gone back to its source, It has returned to the time of the Lord's Supper and the Love feasts, and Christ alone should today preside over those banquets. The intrigues of the conclaves are famous, some of them had baneful results. During the Western Schism, different popes and antipopes were seen to curse and excommunicate one another from the top of the ruined walls of Rome. The Schism seemed on the point of extinction, when Pedro de Luna revived it in 1394, through an intrigue of the conclave at Avignon. Alexander VI, in 1492, bought the votes of twenty-two cardinals, who prostituted the tiara to him, leaving memories of Lucrezia behind him. Sixtus V had no intrigue in the conclave, except with his crutches, and when he was Pope his genius no longer had need of those supports. I have seen in a Roman villa a portrait of Sixtus V's sister, a woman of the people whom the terrible pontiff, in all his plebeian pride, pleased himself by having painted the first arms of our house he said to this sister are rags that was still the time at which some sovereigns dictated orders to the sacred college philip the second used to have notes passed into the conclave saying sous majestad no query que ke n se papa query ke n totanga from that period the intrigues of the conclave are scarcely more than agitations without general results nevertheless duperron and Dossin obtained the reconciliation of henry the fourth with the holy see which was a great event the ambassades of duperron are greatly inferior to the letters of d'Ossan before then du bellay was at one time on the point of preventing the schism of henry the eighth having obtained from that tyrant before his separation from the church that he should submit to the judgment of the holy see he arrived in rome at the moment when the condemnation of henry the eighth was about to be pronounced he obtained a delay to send a man of trust to england the bad roads retarded the reply The partisans of Charles V caused the sentence to be pronounced, and the bearer of the powers of Henry VIII arrived two days later. The delay of a message made England Protestant, and changed the political face of Europe. The destinies of the world depend on no more potent causes. A two-capacious goblet emptied at Babylon caused Alexander to disappear. Next comes to Rome, in the time of Olympia, the Cardinal de Retz, who, in the conclave, held after the death of Innocent X., enlisted in the flying squadron the name given to ten independent cardinals they carried with them sacchetti who was only good to paint in order to pass alexander the seventh savio called silencio who as pope showed himself to be nothing much the president de ross describes the death of clement the twelfth which he witnessed and saw the election of benedict the fourteenth as i saw leo the twelfth the pontiff lying dead on his abandoned bed the cardinal Camelingo had struck clement the twelfth twice or thrice on the forehead according to the custom with a little hammer calling him by his name lorenzo cossini he made no reply says de bross and adds that is how your daughter comes to be dumb and that is how at that time the most serious things were treated a dead pope at whose head one knocks as it were at the gate of understanding while calling on the deceased and voiceless man by his name could it seems to me have inspired a witness with something else than raillery even though it were borrowed from moliere what would the frivolous dijon magistrate have said had clement xii answered him from the depths of eternity what do you want with me the president de France sends his friend the abbe courtois a list of the cardinals of the conclave with a word on each of them to his honour guadagni a bigot a hypocrite witless tasteless a poor monk Acqua of Aragon, a fine presence, although somewhat heavy in figure, as he is also in mind. Ottoboni, no morals, no credit, debauched, ruined, a lover of the arts. Alberoni, full of ardour, anxious, restless, despised, no morals, no decency, no consideration, no judgment. According to him, a cardinal is a... dressed in red. The rest of the list is all of a piece cynicism here takes the place of wit a singular piece of buffoonery took place de bros went to dine with some englishmen at the porta san Pancrazio. they had a mock election of a pope a certain sir ashwood took off his wig and represented the dean of the cardinals they sang oremus and cardinal alberoni was elected by the ballot of that orgy the protestant soldiers in the constable de bourbon's army nominated Martin Luther Pope in the Church of St. Peter. Nowadays the English, who are at once the plague and the providence of Rome, respect the Catholic religion which has permitted them to build a church outside the Porta del Popolo. The government and manners of the day would no longer suffer such scandals. So as soon as a Cardinal is imprisoned in the conclave, the first thing he does is, with the aid of his servants in the dark, to scratch at the newly blocked up walls until they have made a little hole through this during the night they pass strings by means of which news is sent and received between the inside and the outside for the rest the cardinal de retz whose opinion is above suspicion after speaking of the miseries of the conclave in which he took part ends his story with these fine words we live there always together with the same mutual respect and the same civility that are observed in the closets of kings with the same politeness that obtained at the court of henry the Third." with the same familiarity that is seen in the colleges, with the same modesty that prevails in novitiates, and the same charity, at least in appearance, that might exist among brothers wholly united. I am struck in finishing this epitome of a vast history, by the serious manner in which it commences, and the almost burlesque manner in which it ends. The greatness of the Son of God opens a scene which, shrinking in proportion as the Catholic religion moves further from its source, ends in the littleness of the son of Adam. We scarcely find again the primitive loftiness of the cross until we come to the decease of the sovereign pontiff, that childless, friendless pope, whose corpse lies neglected on its couch, shows that the man was reckoned as naught in the head of the evangelical world. Honours are rendered to the pope as a temporal prince, as a man his abandoned corpse is flung down at the door of the church, where of old the sinner did penance dispatches to m le comte portanis rome seventeenth february eighteen twenty nine monsieur le comte i do not know whether the king will be pleased to send an extraordinary ambassador to rome or whether it will suit him to accredit me to the sacred college in the latter case i have the honour to observe to you that i allowed m le duc de laval for his expenses for extraordinary service in a similar circumstance in eighteen twenty three a sum which amounted, as far as I can remember, to 40,000 or 50,000 francs. The Austrian ambassador, M. le Comte d'Aponny, at first received from his court a sum of 36,000 francs for the first requirements, a supplementary allowance of 7,200 francs per month over and above his ordinary salary during the sitting of the conclave, and 10,000 francs for presents, chancery expenses, etc., I do not, M. le Comte, pretend to compete in magnificence with His Excellency the Austrian ambassador, as M. le Duc de Laval did. I shall hire no horses, carriages, nor liveries to dazzle the Roman mob. The King of France is a great enough lord to pay for the pomp of his ambassadors if he wishes it. Borrowed magnificence is wretched. I shall therefore go modestly to the conclave with my ordinary footmen, and in my ordinary carriages.' it only remains for me to know whether the king will not think that as long as the conclave lasts i shall be bound to keep up a display for which my ordinary salary will not be sufficient i ask nothing i merely submit the question to your judgment and to the royal decision i have the honour to be etc rome 19th february 1829 m le comte i had the honour yesterday to be presented to the sacred college and to deliver the little speech of which I sent you a copy in advance in my dispatch number seventeen which left on tuesday the seventeenth instant by a special courier i was listened to with the most auspicious marks of satisfaction and the senior cardinal the venerable della somalia replied to me in terms most affectionate towards the king and france having informed you of everything in my last dispatch i have absolutely nothing new to tell you to-day unless it be that cardinal bussy arrived yesterday from Benevento. Cardinals Albani, Marquis and Opizzoni are expected to-day. The members of the Sacred College will lock themselves up in the coronal palace on Monday evening the 23rd of this month. Ten days will then elapse to await the arrival of the foreign cardinals, after which the serious operations of the conclave will commence, and, if they were to come to an understanding at once, the Pope could be elected in the first week of Lent. I am Monsieur le Comte, awaiting the King's orders, I presume that you dispatched a courier to me after M. de Montebello's arrival in Paris. It is urgent that I should receive either the announcement of an extraordinary embassy, or my new credentials, together with the instructions of the government. Are my five French cardinals coming? Politically speaking, their presence here is very little necessary. I have written to Monseigneur le Cardinal de Latille to offer him my services in case he should decide to come. I have the honour to be, etc., P.S. I enclose a copy of a letter which M. Comte de Funchal has written to me. I have not replied to this ambassador in writing. I only went to talk to him. To Madame Recamier. Rome, Monday, 23rd, February, 1829. Yesterday the Pope's obsequies were finished. The pyramid of paper and the four candelabra were fine enough, because they were of immense proportions and reached up to the corners of the Church. The last year's zero was admirable. It is composed by an unknown man, who belongs to the Pope's chapel, and who seems to me to possess a very different sort of genius from Rossini's. To-day we pass from sorrow to joy. We sing the Veni Creator for the opening of the conclave, then we shall go every evening to see if the ballot-papers are burnt, if the smoke issues from a certain chimney. On the day on which there is no smoke, the Pope will have been appointed, and I shall go to see you again. That is the whole business, as it affects me. The King of England's speech is very insolent to France. What a deplorable expedition that Morayan expedition is. Are they beginning to see it? General Grillenimot wrote me a letter on the subject which made me laugh. He can only have written as he did because he presumed me to be a minister. 25th February. Death is here. Torlonia went yesterday evening after two days' illness. I have seen him lying all painted on his deathbed, his sword at his side, He lent money on pledges, but on such pledges, on antiquities, on pictures huddled promiscuously in an old, dusty palace. That was different from the shop in which the miser put away a Bologna lute, fitted with all its strings, or nearly, the skin of a lizard three feet long, and a four-foot bedstead with slips in Hungarian point. One sees nothing but dead people carried dressed up through the streets. One of them passes regularly under my windows when we sit down to dinner.' For the rest everything proclaims the spring parting. People are beginning to disperse. They are leaving for Naples, they will come back a moment for Holy Week, and then separate for good. Next year there will be different travellers, different faces, a different society. There is something melancholy in this journey over ruins. The Romans are like the remains of their city. The world passes at their feet. I picture those persons going back to their families in the various countries of Europe, the young misses returning to the midst of their fogs. If by chance, thirty years hence, one of them is brought back to Italy, who will remember to have seen her in the palaces whose masters shall be no more St. Peter's and the Colosseum that is all that she herself would recognise. Dispatch to Monsieur Le Comte Portalis Rome, third march, eighteen twenty nine. Monsieur Le Comte My first courier having reached Lyons on the fourteenth of last month, at nine o'clock in the evening, you must have learned the news of the pope's death by telegraph on the morning of the fifteenth it is to-day the third of march and i am still without instructions and without an official reply the newspapers have announced the departure of two or three cardinals i have written to paris to monseigneur le cardinal de latil to place the embassy palace at his disposal i have just written to him again at different points on his road to renew my offers i am sorry to be obliged to tell you monsieur le comte that I notice some little intrigues here to keep the cardinals away from the embassy, to lodge them where they might be placed more within reach of the influences which it is hoped to exercise over them. As far as I am concerned this is a matter of indifference to me. I shall show their eminences all the services which depend upon myself. If they question me touching things which it is well that they should know, I shall tell them what I can. If you transmit the king's orders for them to me, I will communicate these to them. But if they were to arrive here in a spirit hostile to the views of His Majesty's government, if it were perceived that they were not in agreement with the King's ambassador, if they held a language contrary to mine, if they went so far as to give their votes in the conclave to some exaggerated man, if even they were divided among themselves, nothing would be more fatal. It would be better for the King's service that I should instantly hand in my resignation, rather than present this public spectacle of our discords. Austria and Spain have a line of conduct with reference to their clergy which leaves no opening for intrigue. No Austrian or Spanish priest, cardinal or bishop can have any other agent or correspondent in Rome than the ambassador of his court himself. The latter has the right to remove from Rome at a moment's notice any ecclesiastic of his nationality who may obstruct him. I hope, monsieur le comte, that no division will take place, that their eminences the cardinals will have formal orders to submit to the instructions which i shall before long receive from you and that i shall know which of them will be charged with the exercise of the exclusion in case of need and which heads that exclusion is to strike it is very necessary that we should be on our guard the last ballots reveal the awakening of a party this party which gave twenty or twenty-one votes to Cardinals della mamora and pedicini forms what is known here as the sardinian faction the other cardinals, alarmed, want all to give their suffrages to Opitzoni, a man both firm and moderate, although an Austrian, that is to say a Milanese, he coped against Austria at Bologna. He would be an excellent choice. The vote to the French might, by settling on one candidate or another, decide the election. Rightly or wrongly, these cardinals are believed to be hostile to the present system of His Majesty's government, and the Sardinian faction is reckoning on them. I have the honour to be, etc., To Madame Ricamier, Rome, 3rd March, 1829. I am quite surprised at your acquaintance with the story of my excavation. I did not remember having written you so well on that subject. I am, as you think, very busy, left without directions or instructions, I am obliged to take everything upon myself. I believe, however, that I can promise you a moderate and enlightened Pope, if God only grant that he be at the expiration of the interim of Monsieur Portalis' ministry. 4th March. "'Yesterday, Ash Wednesday, I was on my knees alone in the church of Santa Croce, "'which rests against the walls of Rome, near the Porta di Napoli. "'I heard the monotonous and lugubrious chanting of the monks within that solitude. "'I should have liked myself to be in a frock, singing among those ruins. "'What a spot to appease ambition and to contemplate the vanities of earth. "'While I am suffering I hear that M. de la Ferenay is getting better.' he rides on horseback and his convalescence is looked upon in the country as miraculous god grant that it be so and that he may resume work at the end of the interim what a number of questions that would solve for me dispatch to m le comte portalis sunday fifteenth march eighteen twenty nine monsieur le comte i have had the honour to inform you of the successive arrivals of their eminences the french cardinals three of them messieurs de Latille de la Far, and de croix have done me the honour to be my guests the first entered the conclave on thursday evening the twelfth with m le cardinal isoard the two others locked themselves in on friday evening the thirteenth i told them all i know i gave them important notes on the minority and majority in the conclave and on the sentiments which animate the different parties we agreed that they should support the candidates of whom i have already spoken to you namely cardinals capillari oppizzoni benvenuti Zula, castiglioni and lastly pacca and di gregoro and that they should reject the cardinals of the sardinian faction pedicini giustiniani galeffi and cristaldi i hope that this good intelligence between the ambassadors and cardinals will have the best effect at least i shall have nothing with which to reproach myself if passions or interests intervene to deceive my hopes i have monsieur le comte discovered dangerous and contemptible intrigues carried on between paris and rome through the channel of Monsignor lambruschini the nuncio it was no less a question than to cause to be read in open conclave a copy of some pretended secret instructions divided into several clauses and given so it was impudently asserted to monsieur le cardinal de latil the majority of the conclave has pronounced strongly against these machinations it wished the nuncio to be instructed to break off all relations with those men of discord who while troubling France, would end by making the Catholic religion hateful to all. I am, Monsieur le Comte making a collection of these authentic revelations, and I will send it to you after the election of the Pope. That will be worth more than all the dispatches in the world. The King will learn to know who are his friends and who his enemies, and the government will be able to rely on facts suited to guide its conduct. Your dispatch number 14 informs me of the encroachments which his holiness nuncio endeavoured to renew in france in connection with the death of leo the twelfth the same thing had happened before when i was foreign minister at the time of the death of Pius the seventh fortunately we always have means of defending ourselves against those public attacks it is much more difficult to escape the plots laid in the dark the conclaves who accompany our cardinals appeared to me to be reasonable men the abbe coudrin alone whom you mention to me is one of those cramped and narrow minds into which nothing can enter one of those men who have mistaken their profession as you are well aware he is a monk head of an order and he even has bulls of institution this is but little in agreement with our civil laws and our political institutions it may happen that the pope will be elected at the end of this week but if the french cardinals fail to make their presence felt at once it will become impossible to assign a limit to the duration of the conclave. New combinations would perhaps bring about an unexpected nomination. To have done with it they might agree on some insignificant cardinal, such as Dandini. In times gone by, Monsieur Le Comte, I have found myself placed in difficult circumstances, whether as ambassador to London, or as minister during the Spanish War, or as a member of the House of Peers, or leader of the opposition but nothing has given me so much anxiety and care as my present position in the midst of every kind of intrigue i have to act upon an invisible body locked up in a prison the approaches to which are strictly guarded i have no money to give no places to promise the decaying passions of fifty old men give me no hold on them i have to fight against stupidity in some against ignorance of the times in others fanaticism in these craft and duplicity in those In almost all ambition self-interest political hatred and i am separated by walls and mysteries from the assembly in which so many elements of division are fermenting at each moment the scene varies every quarter of an hour contradictory reports plunge me into fresh perplexities i am not monsieur le comte telling you of these difficulties to show my importance but rather to serve as my excuse in case the election should result in a pope contrary to what it seems to promise and to the nature of our wishes at the time of the death of Pius Seventh, public opinion was not excited over religious questions. To-day these questions have begun to play their part in politics, and never did the election of the head of the church fall at a less auspicious moment. I have the honour to be, etc. To Madame Ricamier, Rome, 17th March, 1829. The King of Bavaria has called in Mufti to see me. We spoke of you. This Greek sovereign, though he wears a crown, seems to know what he has on his head and to understand that you cannot nail the present to the past. He is to dine with me on Thursday, and wants no one there. For the rest, behold us in the midst of great events. A Pope to be made, what will he be like? Will Catholic emancipation be passed? A new campaign in the East, on which side will victory be? Shall we profit by this position? Who will conduct our affairs? Is there a head capable of perceiving all that this contains for France, and of profiting by it according to events? I am persuaded that they do not so much as think of it in Paris, and that, what with the salons and the chambers, pleasure and legislation, worldly joys and ministerial anxieties, they don't trouble about Europe or anything else. Only I myself in my exile have time to indulge in dreams and to look about me. Yesterday I went for a walk in a sort of gale on the old Tivoli Road. I came to the old Roman pavement, which is so well preserved that one would believe it had been newly laid. Yet Horace had trod the stones which I was treading where is horace the Marquise caponi arrived from florence bringing me letters of recommendation from ladies in paris i replied to one of these letters on the twenty first of march eighteen twenty nine i have received your letters the services i am able to do are nothing but i am entirely at your orders i was already well acquainted with the marquis caponi's merits i can tell you that he is still good-looking he has weathered time i did not answer your first letter so full of enthusiasm for the sublime and for discipline barbarism, for those slaves bastinadoed into soldiers. I can imagine that women are carried away with admiration for men who marry hundreds of them at a time, and that they take that for the progress of enlightenment and civilization. But as for me, I cling to my poor Greeks. I desire their liberty as I do that of France. I also want frontiers which will cover Paris and ensure our independence, and it is not by means of the triple alliance of the Pale of Constantinople, the Schlag of Vienna and the Fistic House of London that you will obtain the Bank of the Rhine, many thanks for the fur coat of honour which our glory might obtain from the invincible command of the faithful who has not yet sallied from the outskirts of his seraglio. I prefer that glory naked. she is a woman and beautiful. Phidias would certainly never have robed her in a Turkish dressing-gown to madame rcamier rome twenty first March eighteen twenty nine Well, I am right, and you are wrong. I went yesterday between two ballots, and while waiting for a pope, to Sant Onofrio, and it is two orange trees that grow in the cloister, and not an evergreen oak. I am quite proud of this fidelity of my memory. I ran almost with my eyes shut to the little stone that covers your friend. I prefer it to the great monument they are going to raise to him. What a charming solitude! What an admirable view! What happiness to lie there between the frescoes of Domenichino and Leonardo da Vinci! i wish i were there i never felt so tempted did they let you enter the interior of the convent did you see in a long corridor that delicious though half obliterated head of a madonna by leonardo da vinci did you see in the library tasso's mask his withered laurel wreath a mirror which he used his inkstand his pen and the letter written by his hand pasted to a board that hangs below his bust in this letter in a small scratched out but easily legible hand he speaks of friendship and the wind of fortune, the latter scarcely ever blew for him, and the former often failed him. No pope yet, we expect him hourly, but if the choice has been delayed, if obstacles have arisen on every hand, it is not my fault. They ought to have listened to me a little more, and not acted in a sense exactly the opposite to that which they seem to decide upon. For the rest it seems to me at present that every one wants to be at peace with me. The Cardinal de Clermont-Tonnerre himself has just written to tell me, that he claims my former kindness for him, and after all that he comes to stay with me, resolved to vote for the most moderate Pope. You have read my second speech. Thank M. Keratry, who has spoken so obligingly of the first. I hope he will be still more pleased with the other. We shall both of us try to make liberty Christian, and we shall succeed. What do you say to the answer Cardinal Castiglione made me? Have I been finely enough praised in open conclave? You could not have done better in the days when you spoiled me twenty fourth march eighteen twenty nine if i were to believe the rumours of rome we should have a pope to-morrow but i am in a moment of discouragement and i refuse to believe in such happiness you can understand that that happiness is not political happiness the joy of a triumph but the happiness of being free and seeing you again when i speak to you so much about the conclave i am like the people who have a fixed idea and who believe that the whole world is interested in that idea and yet in paris who thinks of the conclave, who troubles about a pope or my tribulations? French light-heartedness, the interests of the moment, the discussions in the chambers, excited ambitions have very different things to do. When the Duc de Laval used also to write to me of his cares about the conclave, preoccupied with the Spanish war as I was, I used to say when I received his dispatches, Oh, good heavens, I have something else to think of, and M. Portalis is applying the lex talionis to me to-day. Nevertheless, one may fairly say that things at that time were not what they are now. Religious ideas were not mixed up with political ideas, as they have since been throughout Europe. The quarrel did not lie there. The nomination could not, as it does now, disturb or pacify States. Since the letter which informed me that M. de la Ferenay's leave had been extended, and that he had left for Rome, I have heard nothing. Still, I believe that news true. M. Thierry has written me a touching letter from Ier, he tells me that he is dying and still he wants a place in the academy of inscriptions and asks me to write for him i am going to do so my excavation continues to give me sarcophaguses death can only yield what it possesses the poussin monument is getting on it will be noble and large you cannot imagine how the picture of the arcadian shepherds was made for a bas-relief nor how well it suits sculpture twenty eighth march monsieur le cardinal de clermont who has been staying with me, enters the conclave to-day. This is an age of marvels. I have with me the son of Marshal Lannes, and the grandson of the Chancellor, Monsieur du Constitutionnel, dine at my table beside Monsieur de la Quotidienne. That is the advantage of being sincere, let every one think what he pleases, provided I am allowed the same liberty. I only endeavour that my opinion shall have the majority, because I think it, and rightly, better than the others.' I attribute to this sincerity the tendency of the most diverging opinions to gather round me i exercise the right of sanctuary towards them they cannot be seized beneath my roof to monsieur le duc de blacas rome twenty fourth march eighteen twenty nine i am sorry monsieur le duc that a phrase in my letter should have been able to cause you any anxiety i have no reason whatever to complain of a man of sense and intelligence who told me nothing save diplomatic commonplaces do we ambassadors ever talk anything else as to the cardinal of whom you do me the honour to speak the french government has not designated any one in particular it has left the matter entirely as i reported it our eight moderate and peaceful cardinals who seem to attract the wishes of all the courts alike are the candidates among whom we wish to see the votes fall but if we lay no claim to impose a choice upon the majority of the conclave we do with all our might and by every means repel two or three fanatical intriguing or incapable cardinals whom the minority are supporting i have no other possible means of sending you this letter monsieur le duc i am therefore very simply posting it because it contains nothing that you and i cannot confess aloud i have the honour to be etc to madame rcamier rome thirty first march eighteen twenty nine monsieur de montebello has arrived and has brought me your letter with a letter from M. Bertin, and from M. Villemain. My excavations are doing well. I find plenty of empty sarcophaguses. I shall be able to choose one for myself, without my ashes being obliged to turn out those of the old dead men whom the wind has carried away. Depopulated sepulchres afford the spectacle of a resurrection, and yet they await only a more profound death. It is not life but annihilation which has made those tombs deserted. To finish my little diary of the moment, I will tell you that the day before yesterday. I climbed to the ball of St. Peter's during a storm. You cannot imagine the noise of the wind in mid-sky, around that cupola of Michelangelo, and above that temple of the Christians which crushes ancient Rome. 31st March, evening. Victory! I have one of the popes whom I had placed on my list. It is Castiglioni the very cardinal whom I was supporting for the papacy in 1823, when I was minister, he who lately replied to me in the conclave with many praises. Castiglione is a moderate man, and devoted to France. It is a complete triumph. The conclave, before separating, gave orders to write to the Nuncio in Paris, to tell him to express to the king the satisfaction of the sacred college with my conduct. I have already dispatched the news to Paris by the telegraph, The prefect of the Rhone is the intermediary of this aerial correspondence, and this prefect is Monsieur de Brosse, son of that Comte de Brosse, the frivolous traveller to Rome, whom I have often quoted in the notes which I collect while writing to you. The courier who carries this letter to you carries my dispatch to Monsieur Portalis. I never have two consecutive days of good health now. This makes me furious, for I have no heart for anything in the midst of my sufferings. Still, I am awaiting with some impatience to hear the effect in Paris of the nomination of my Pope, what they will say, what they will do, what will become of me. The most certain thing is that my leave has been applied for. I have seen in the papers the great quarrel raised by the Constitutionnel about my speech. It accuses the Messager of not printing it, and we in Rome have Messagers of the 22nd of March, though quarrel belongs to the 24th or 25th, containing the speech. Isn't it singular? It seems clear that there are two editions, one for Rome and the other for Paris. Poor people, I am thinking of the mistake made by another paper. It assures its readers that the conclave was very much dissatisfied with this speech. What can it have said when it read the praises given me by Cardinal Castiglione, who has become Pope? When shall I have done talking to you of all these trifles? When shall I busy myself only with finishing the memoirs of my life, and my life also, as the last page of those memoirs? I have great need of it. I am very weary. The weight of my days increases and makes itself felt on my head. I amuse myself by calling it rheumatism. But it is the kind that one cannot cure. One word only sustains me when I again say, Soon. 3rd April. I forgot to tell you that, as Cardinal Fresh behaved very well in the conclave, and voted with our cardinals, I took a resolution and invited him to dinner. He refused, in a very tactful note. Dispatch to M. le Comte Portanis, Rome, 2nd April, 1829. Monsieur le Comte. Cardinal Albani has been appointed Secretary of State, as I had the honour to inform you in my first letter, carried to Lyon by the mounted messenger, dispatched on the evening of the 31st of March. The new minister is not pleasing to the Sardinian faction, nor to the majority of the Sacred College, nor even to Austria because he is violent, an anti-Jesuit, rude in his manner, and an Italian above everything. Rich and excessively avaricious, Cardinal Albani is mixed up in all sorts of enterprises and speculations. I went yesterday to pay him my first visit. The moment he saw me, he exclaimed, I am a pig! He was in fact exceedingly dirty. You shall see that I am not an enemy. I am giving you his own words, Monsieur le Comte. I replied that I was very far from regarding him as an enemy. "'You people,' he resumed, "'want water, not fire. "'Don't I know your country? "'Haven't I lived in France?' "'He speaks French like a Frenchman. "'You will be satisfied, and your master too. "'How is the King? "'Good morning. "'Let us go to St. Peter's.' "'It was eight o'clock in the morning. "'I had already seen His Holiness, "'and all Rome was hastening to the ceremony of the Adoration.' Cardinal Albani is a man of intelligence, false by nature and frank by temperament. His violence foils his cunning. One can make use of him by flattering his pride and satisfying his avarice. Pius VIII is very learned, especially in matters of theology. He speaks French, but with less facility and grace than Leo XII. He is attacked on the right side with partial paralysis, and is subject to convulsive movements. The supreme power will cure him. He is to be crowned on Sunday next, Passion Sunday, the 5th of April. Now, Monsieur le Comte, that the principal business which kept me in Rome is ended, I shall be infinitely obliged to you, if you will obtain for me from His Majesty's kindness a leave of a few months. I shall not take it until after I have handed the Pope the letter in which the King will reply to that which Pius VIII has written, or is going to write to him, to announce his elevation to the Chair of St. Peter permit me to beg once more on behalf of my two secretaries of legation m belloc and m de givray the favours which i have asked of you for them the intrigues of cardinal albani in the conclave the partisans whom he had won even among the majority had made me fear some unexpected stroke to carry him to the sovereign pontificate it seemed to me impossible to allow ourselves to be thus surprised and to permit the austrian chargé d'affaires to put on the tiara under the eyes of the French ambassador. I therefore availed myself of the arrival of M. le Cardinal de clermont tonnerre to charge him against all eventualities, with the letter enclosed, the terms of which I framed on my own responsibility. Fortunately he was not called upon to make use of this letter. He handed it back to me, and I have the honour to send it to you. I have the honour to be, etc. End of Book 13, Part 1